Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. Welcome back to another episode of FCN's podcast. Emily, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about a question that was asked in the Financial Coaches Community Facebook group a couple of weeks ago about end of service questionnaire. So you've been working with a client for a while. They have either graduated or they've said, I'm done. I hate you. We're not doing this anymore. Probably not that. But for one reason or another, they are no longer going to be working with you. What kind of things do you put on a questionnaire to get some feedback from them? Okay. And I think it's important to start with, it's totally normal for clients to say, I'm done. I hate you. Uh, I'm not <laughs> saying that all your clients are going to have that. They don't, they're not usually that blunt. <laughs> yeah. But you're going to have that. If you do this long enough, you're going to have that happen. And it's not going to happen just once. So when that does happen, don't feel like you necessarily failed. If it's happening a lot, then that's something you should question. But you know, once you've had a number of clients, this is going to happen and don't feel bad if that does. But let's talk about the topic at hand. One more quick note on that. Mm -hmm. It's also highly likely that the client who says, I'm done, I don't want to do this anymore, is the client that you've been hoping would say, I'm done, I don't want to do this anymore. Or you've had an inkling that they will be saying that. I have very rarely been blindsided by somebody doing that. It's typically... Oh, yeah, I can see why. Okay, fine. Yeah. Wasn't a great fit to begin with. Maybe should have been fired, but that's a topic for a future one. So let's so, talk. End of service questionnaire. Yes. <laughs> so let's start with when you're doing an end of service questionnaire, what kind of questions should you include? Is it better to stick with like the data questions? Like how much were you able to save or how much are you uh, comparing questions to how they started to how they are now? Or better to give more open, ask more open-ended, what did you think about my program kind of questions? Neither. Um, (laughs) Fine, option three. (laughs) Yeah, so let's talk about why not data questions. Yes, you should ask data questions if you have no other way to gather that information. However, ideally, you have a way of gathering that information. So whether it's Money Coach, whether it's my financial planning software, Right Capital, whatever it happens to be, I have the ability to go in and look at and see the progress that clients are making. I can identify, for example, in the task management system that I have, whether or not clients have completed getting their estate plan with an attorney, right? Or scheduled this top call with the attorney. So I'm not going to ask them, have they done that if I already have that data somewhere else? And so a lot of the data-oriented questions, at least the major questions, are going to be questions that can be answered through the software that you're using if you're using software. If you're not using software, you've got a major problem no matter how you get the 
the information, which is you may not get accurate information and you're highly likely not to get accurate information. Because right. people are very bad at self-reporting. People are very bad at self-reporting. They don't add things correctly. Um, they, they interpret the numbers based on how they're feeling, right? Mm -hmm. So people who no. felt like it was a really good service are going to say that they saved more money than they may have actually done. Um, and people not, not didn't like the service are going to They're not going to intentionally lie, mm -hmm. probably, but they're just going to be like, yeah, we had such a good time together that I, I thought I did this. Yeah. A good example of this would be, you know, a, a client saved up $2,000 to take a trip. They took the trip. Client that liked the service will include that $2,000 plus the extra $1,000 they spent on the trip in their savings. And a client that didn't like the service won't count that $2,000 because it's not in their savings account now, right? And it'll just happen. Right. Um, so you want to be very careful about gathering data questions through a questionnaire uh, because it's, number one, it's irrelevant if your software allows for it, uh, which it should. And number two, because it's not reliable. And if you're gathering the data for marketing purposes, it not being reliable could be good or could be bad for you, right? Um, but if you're gathering it for you to be able to improve your services, non-reliable data, whichever way it goes, is bad for you. Um, the second type of question is sort of a open-ended, how did you feel about the service? I think that that's okay to ask in general. Um, but it's not, that's sort of the ending question of, is there anything you else you want to share? It, it's mm. definitely not your, your opening question. <laughs> and you don't want your questionnaire to be five different versions of that. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so we want very specific questions. We don't want closed ended questions like yes, no questions, but we do want very specific questions that, uh, get the client to answer a very specific thing that we're trying to learn. A good example of this would be, I'm trying to figure out whether I'm going to stick with my four meeting onboarding or switch to a three meeting onboarding. Mm -hmm. And so I might ask clients to rate, if I'm trying to figure that out. So I might client ask clients to rate the four meetings with regard to their value, right? How valuable did they find those four meetings? Mm -hmm. If when we do this ranking, one, two, three, four, right? When I, when we get this ranking back from the clients, if they all are pretty even, then that suggests sticking with the four makes sense because, you know, errors are washing out. If on the other hand, three of them are pretty high, but one of them is really low, that really suggests, oh, not only should I move to three, but I know what I should cut. Yeah. It's not just condense it all. It's yeah. they don't even like this to begin with. So why are we doing it? And then you yeah. get into that question of why are we doing it and figure yeah. out what to do. Yeah. So, so that's, that's going to be the driver of the questions is what are we trying to do? And that's probably the most important thing um, is 
you need to ask questions. You, you need to start with why are we asking the question? <laughs> right. right. What is the purpose behind having an end of service questionnaire and what are we trying to get out of it? And I would say 99% of questions asked by businesses of all types and sizes uh, are worthless. <laughs> and I know this because I've been in plenty of meetings where I've gotten looked at like I was crazy for saying, why are we asking this question? What are we going to do with this information? And people look at me and say, well, we don't need to know what we're going to do with it. Let's let's ask the information and then we'll figure out what to do with it. No, that's backwards. Yeah, not the way that you do proper market research. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it seems like I, I don't have the market research, but logically, getting people to do an end of service questionnaire is somewhat of a feat in and of itself. So if you get people to do it, I mean, if they've had a great experience, they're probably very happy to share feedback with you. But if you're going to potentially be pulling teeth to get them to do it, you better at least make sure that it's worth your time to and their time. to. Yeah. And really what it comes down to is two things. Number one, people who really hated you or really loved mm -hmm. you are going to be yeah. excited to do it. <laughs> people in the middle is going to be, they're going to be a little bit harder. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There are strategies that you can use in order to improve your response rates. Uh, but they are, they got not what we're talking about today, but you know, it will be harder. Absolutely. For, especially for those people in the middle. Um, the other thing is the more questions you have, the less likely people are going to do it. So the right. smaller that percentage, the bigger that middle gets. Right. And when we look at that idea of the, of that middle, that's not going to do it getting bigger. If you have questions in there that you're not going to act on, right? There's no specific decision that you can make based on the answers to those questions. Then you haven't added any value to your business. You've satisfied your curiosity about something, but you haven't actually added any value to your business. But what you have done is shrunk that by adding that question in, you shrunk the number of people. You've expanded that middle of people that are, that are going to answer. So you've shrunk the number of people that you're getting answers from, you're getting information from. And as you shrink it, you reduce the reliability of the data. Right. Um, Especially you, because that middle growing means that the engines, the, the people responding are more polarized. Yeah. So yeah. it's fewer so, responses and the more extreme polarized. responses. Yep. Yeah. So that's that's going to be a really important thing. And that that's that third option, right? Is the, the real question is what decisions am I making in my business that I need to know these answers to? And then those become the questions that you ask. You know? So what are your thoughts on having maybe just a section of it, maybe the whole thing being something, you know, like, how confident in your ability are you in your ability to save money that you ask at the beginning of your program and then asking that again at the end of the program? Again, what are you going to do with that information? Yeah. Right. Marketing potentially. You know, people who go through my program uh, are 42% more confident in their ability to save money by the end, that kind of thing potentially. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, yes, you can do that. The problem is you know, you ask 12 questions, 11 of them are bad answers, but one of them is a good answer and what ends up in the marketing, right? Well, of course. So, um, as we look at that, you also have to be careful about if you're really clear that this is solely for marketing, great. But 
we really want to be careful about how the answer to those to those questions could lead you to do something that's not good to do. Um, a, a really great example of this is, um, so I asked my students that question in my entrepreneurship class, mm-hmm. right? And I'm asking it because I am hoping that the number of students that feel confident about being able to start and succeed at their business, that those confidence levels drop over the course of the semester. That's my goal. Uh-huh. Because, Are you trying to get them up and over Mount Stupid? Yes. I'm, so I'm, referencing I'm, imposter syndrome, we've had yeah. episodes on that, but you're trying to you're trying to show them how much they don't know. I, I'm measuring whether or not they learned enough to realize how hard it's going to be and to and to counteract the rainbows and unicorns picture that a lot of other advertising um, for service like FCN try to paint that owning a business is easy, right? Because nobody's going to buy your $10,000. I'm going to help you build a business in three days program. If it's not rainbows and unicorns, you're ruining all of these people's businesses. So so when we look at this idea of, so that's what that, so I asked that question because I'm trying, I want to see that downside. That's how I measure my success is how much of a drop in confidence has happened. I also pair that with, did they, do they have a business that is up and running and selling to real customers by the end of the semester? And that's how I measure whether or not um, that the question that you would ask with the confidence question, hoping that they'll say yes, right? That's how I measure whether or not that part of it succeeded. So translating that to financial coaching, um, the question that we want to look at is, how many goals that they identified at the beginning of the semester are they making progress toward and on track toward it? Now, again, your software should be able to provide that for you. And uh, self-reporting is potentially problematic. But my guess is what people are hoping to get from that question, if it's not marketing purposes only, what people are hoping to get um, from that question of your confidence is probably going to be more relevantly answered by identifying the number of goals that they are working toward and, and making progress toward. Um, good financial coaching, honestly, should reduce their confidence. It should. Okay, continue. And then I'll push back if I still want to push back. Because obviously you said that because we're all going to want to push back. But okay, explain. But the entrepreneurship one I got right away. This one. Say why didn't why not? There's a question mark. Because most people don't have a good grasp on everything that they spend their money on throughout the year. They have a good grasp on how much their rent is because it's the same amount every month and they write the check. Very few people have a good grasp on how much they spend on gas, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Very few people have a good grasp on how much they spend on Amazon (laughs) or Amazon. Amazon, Right. (laughs) And so 
a, a, a big part of coaching is helping them to see not just what do they spend on Amazon, but also, you know, this is what your electricity averages to throughout the year. As they get that better grasp on those types of things, they're going to feel um, it's going to feel a lot harder because it's going, you know, in the beginning, a lot of people go into coaching and when you talk to people during discovery meetings, you'll hear them or sales meetings, you'll hear them say this in possibly different words, but oftentimes the same words, well, I make so much money and I don't spend that much, but I don't know where it's all going. Right. right? So to them, it's, well, there's got to be an easy fix to this in their mind, right? Mm -hmm. They don't know how, what that easy fix is. That's why they're hiring you. But to them, there's an easy fix to this, right? But wouldn't the goal be by the end of coaching to get them to a point? I mean, I, I fully agree. Probably in the middle of coaching, there's going to be a moment where they're like, well, crap, I have to make a lot of changes. I didn't realize this was going on. This sucks. But isn't the goal by the end of coaching to get their, get them to a point where they're more optimistic and they're like, okay, yeah, I can do this. It's going to be, it might be hard, you know, but I'm ready to do it on my own or. I think it depends on how you view the scope of it, right? Okay. I think the goal for, with regard to the the foundations, savings, debt management, mm -hmm. those, absolutely. I think one of the goals of coaching, however, and one of the reasons why I have a coaching program within my financial planning firm is for people who are not psychologically ready to do financial planning. Mm -hmm. One of the goals of coaching at my firm, and I think it's a good goal for all coaches to have, is to get people confident in the foundation stuff of mm -hmm. finances so that they can then have the mental capacity to start thinking about much longer term planning. Right. And possibly working with a financial planner, right? Mm -hmm. And that has a lot more complexity associated with it. And when they when they're no longer feeling like they're drowning and they can look around at all of the long-term stuff, there's a lot of long-term stuff that you can look at, right? And so I, I think it depends on I, I, I'm agreeing with you, but I think it also depends on how you view that scope of what that end of coaching looks like. Yeah, I suppose. So right. from my point of view, if it's an if we're doing an end of service questionnaire because they finished the program, if they're saying I feel less confident in my ability to save, I haven't done my job because <laughs> they haven't figured that out. If they're yeah. saying I feel less confident because holy crap, there's a lot I need to do. I need to go talk to somebody about investing because if I want to retire by the time I'm age, whatever, there's a or I need to hire a CPA or I need exactly. to talk to a lawyer about an estate plan. Yeah. Right. Then I'm like, that's okay. We got mm -hmm. you to the point where you can think about those things and you're ready to think about those things. Yeah. So and I here's some recommendations. Be... Talk to these people. Yeah. And I think that that's really important when you're asking your questionnaire that you really think about those nuances because mm -hmm. you may get an answer that you're not expecting because you've asked the wrong question. Um, how you ask a question, like the exact wording you use is incredibly, incredibly um Powerful. When I when I taught market research classes, I would um, I would ask a student questionnaire, an anonymous student questionnaire, uh, about um, abortion, people's opinions on abortion, and I would get the results back, 
and we'd have, you know, the people that were pro-choice versus pro-life. Most people's opinions on this are pretty solid. They don't change very easily. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I would give a 30-second speech, and I'd ask, uh, do a second round of surveying, and the percentages would change in my 30-second speech. And my speech wasn't about abortion. I could read my shopping list. You and just the changed the question. I just changed the question slightly. Right. And so it's really, really important that you think about when, you, when you're thinking about these questions, when you say, I feel more confident in my, in my uh, financial capabilities, right? That's the original question that you asked. And that's why I said, no, that probably should go down. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel more confident in my ability to save. That's a very, very different question. Mm-hmm. And yes, I agree. That one should go up. Right. And so be really, really clear about what are you trying to get from it and make sure that you've really, really wordsmith that question so that you're getting the answer that you want. Yeah. So to sum all of that up, basically just ask yourself, why am I asking this question? Mm-hmm. And then once you figured out what you're trying to get out of it, then you figure out what questions to ask. Yeah. Yeah. We have time for one more question or one more follow-up. So the person who originally asked this question in the group just said for her specific question, the client had stopped coaching what the coach believed was prematurely because she said she was too busy and she'd continue later. She didn't reach her goals. She did get in a better financial position. So should you have different questionnaires, which I guess going back to the big, the main idea, what are you trying to get out of it? But should you have a different questionnaire for somebody who stopped before you feel like you accomplished everything? Should you have a separate questionnaire for people who finished your program? Should you have a separate questionnaire for somebody who maybe finished a program, but is moving into ongoing? And all of those depend on what you want to get out of it. Yeah, I think that you absolutely need a separate questionnaire for all of those, because you're probably trying, well, you're definitely for two of them trying to get something different out of it, right? Mm -hmm. For a person who's no longer working with you, you're trying to get an understanding of their perspectives on the process and and their success. For a person that is transitioning to ongoing, um, really, at the very least, a part of your questionnaire should be things that will help you be more successful in coaching them on an ongoing basis. Um, and so it, it's going to depend on what you're trying to look for, what decisions you're trying to make based on it, but it could be very likely that you might have two or three different questionnaires, depending on the circumstances. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I will say that one of the things that's potentially problematic for a person that left before you thought they should is you have to be very careful about how you ask the questions and how you interpret them because you're going to have a tendency to be defensive both mm-hmm. in your asking your phrasing mm-hmm. of the questions and in how you interpret them um, because you kind of feel like you got dumped right before prom yeah, and that's the worst thankfully yeah. it never happened to me but i can imagine that would be awful yeah <laughs> and yeah so you, you know just also be aware of your own mindset and mm-hmm. how that could influence um, those questions. 
Um, it's why market research never allowed the advertising department nor the product design department or the sales <laughs> department to revise the <laughs> questions. They could have input and say, this is what we want to find out, but the exact wording of the question needs to be very, very pure. Um, it's also why when I used to do market research with focus groups, um, I would never allow uh, the CEO or anyone of any authority in the room with the people. And ideally, I didn't want anyone period in it uh, because they would start arguing with the customers that we were or the prospects that were um, being focus grouped. Um, that makes sense. And you can do that. You can do that argumentative nature, both in your interpretation, but also in how you ask the questions prior when you're writing them down. <laughs> So write your question, figure out what you want to know, write your questions down, shove them in a drawer for a few days until you've cooled off a little bit, revisit them. <laughs> and then once you've got them, then don't change them. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, yeah. So those are my, those are, those, those are the answers. Yeah. Uh, Shante, I, I know that you asked that question. So I, I hope that that was helpful to you. Yeah, getting an unbiased opinion on the questions is also not a terrible idea. This is why we have a community of coaches so that we can bounce ideas off each other and hopefully be Sometimes unbiased. You get bad advice that's that also way. true. Yeah. And also, if anybody puts themselves in the position of, oh yeah, I remember when somebody, a client dumped me in, then reads the questions, that's also not an unbiased opinion. But yeah. 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 I think so. that'll do for today. All right. Have a good one, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, it also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall there if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.